I'm Julie. And I'm Darcy. And this is Classroom Crusaders. We're listening, learning, and leading. Julie, it's been forever since we have actually put a podcast together. I know. I I feel like we always have the best of intentions, but we've both had a really busy couple months. Both of us have had some transitions going on, and um, I'm glad that we're back because I've missed it. I know. Me too. <laughs> What's the weather doing on your side of the country? So we haven't had too much in terms of snow and cold. Um, but you know, what kills me is that it gets dark at four o'clock. Yeah. I get so tired and all I want to do is eat and watch movies and then go to bed at eight 30. <laughs> I'm really exciting. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's like me, but I've been staying up till 10. <laughs> so, but yeah, we keep getting snow and then it keeps raining and then a little bit more snow and then rain. So that's yeah. kind of a bummer, but yeah. And I think it's funny that you brought up the weather and then I was talking about getting tired and it getting dark because I think what we're talking about today <laughs> is, is sort of connected to that. Um, it's that time of the school year where I used to start to panic, um, mm-hmm. and worry. I haven't gotten through everything I thought I was going to get through, I don't know how we're going to finish this novel before winter break. Um, I feel like this is a time where there's this strange juxtaposition of extreme fatigue and also this this panic, um, this adrenaline to push through and get it done. Yeah, and I, I think I feel that too because we're two weeks away from Christmas break and I am just not where I should be with my writing curriculum and things like that. I, I don't even know how it happened, <laughs> but I feel like I woke up and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm behind. Um, so. Well, I have some theories on how it happened well, or you know, how yeah. it happens, <laughs> which is there's so much that is outside of your control in the classroom. Yeah. Um, the technology doesn't work. There's a fire drill. Four of your students are out sick. You know, all of those, those, variables that are completely outside your control add up and a class period just never seems to be enough time to get it done. Yep. Yeah. So that's what we're talking about today are how to pivot um, when you've fallen behind and what you wanted to do in your curriculum. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we talked about uh, how it's almost winter vacation and that panic is setting in. And it's interesting because I'm going to do a little bit of coaching. I can't help myself. I'm sorry. <laughs> but you already used the word should mm-hmm. in this conversation. That's you true. Said, I'm not where <laughs> I should me. be <laughs> with my writing curriculum. And my first piece of advice to anyone who is in this, this panic mode is try to get rid of that word should. Mm-hmm. Because to take a step back, we would want to think about who is setting these expectations for what you should or shouldn't have done? Is it coming from yourself? Is it coming from your administrator? I think it's actually very helpful to try to identify where it's coming from because most of the time, at least in my experience, it was coming from me. Yeah. 
whether or not we finished the novel or did one more essay didn't really matter to my administrator or to my students, but I felt this pressure as someone who's type A and loves lists and checking off boxes. I felt like I was failing or not doing enough if I couldn't check off all of those boxes. So if you try to reframe a little bit, I am not where I should be suggests that you failed or mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a phrase and it's language where you're going to have an increase in your frustration rather than using language that's going to help empower you so you can pivot and revise your plan. So my suggestion would be instead of I'm not where I should be shift the language to I'm somewhere else than I intended mm-hmm. and I will adjust and revise my plan. That to me lowers the stakes a little bit because I know, and you know, it might be similar for you. If I am in a really negative mindset and I put all of this pressure on myself, sometimes the opposite happens. Instead of being productive, I feel paralyzed and do less, which is not what we want here, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah, I know. And for me, you know, yeah, it's kind of like, oh, my gosh, we're not where we, you know, not where I intended to be. But I've actually been pretty in a pretty good mindset where, okay, so we're going to regroup and I'm going to come up with a new plan for next quarter. And I'm just going to do the best I can. And, you know, that's all I ever do every year is do the best I can and send those kids off on their next step. You know, hopefully just a little bit better than they were when they they came to me. So, (laughs) Yeah, and I think you make a really good point about doing the best that I can. So what exactly does doing the best that I can mean? Mm -hmm. I know for me in the classroom, it meant meeting my students where they were at. The reality is you may have the same unit uh, for writing or you're teaching the same novel as you did last year, but your kids are different. They might have different needs. What took your students a week last year might take them two weeks this year. And I think that that's, you know, that's so important to, to say is, is it should not should. <laughs> See, I have to catch myself. It is about your students ultimately yeah. Yeah. and doing right by your students. And in order to do that, you have to be flexible and adjust to their needs mm-hmm. as well as all of those other factors that you can't control. So I think, um, you know, there's a tension or an elephant in the room in our profession. So on the one hand, we have so much stuff, right? We have to teach writing. We have to teach reading, speaking, listening, spelling, grammar, on and on and on, right? We have these standards that we have to hit. But on the other hand, we all know that quality instruction and meaningful learning takes time. Mm -hmm. So you have this pressure and all of this stuff, but you also have this, this philosophy and this understanding that you, you really need to, to teach and students really need to learn. So there's never enough time. So what do you do? What do you do when you've fallen behind? How, how do you determine, um, what that regroup is going to look like. Yeah. And that's really the challenge. And that's what we want to talk about today. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Are you going to go first? Yeah. So I also want to say a little bit about these pivots. Um, These pivots did not 
come from expertise or great wisdom. They came from us learning by, you know, just getting through it. Right. So learning the hard way. And I, I think for me, um, and I know you and I've talked about this before, that idea of trusting your teacher gut, trusting that little voice and really letting it guide you in the moment. Um, that's so important. And I think all of these pivots that we're about to share, they, you know, they required that we trust ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's important advice too. You're a good teacher. You know your students. You know your stuff. So when you have that feeling, that instinct that you need to slow down or maybe you need to do something differently, I would say trust that. Go with that because that's really your guide when you're teaching. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So the first scenario, we aren't going to finish the novel in time. Can you relate, Darcy? Yes. Yes, I can. (laughs) So I taught To Kill a Mockingbird uh, several years in a row. Um, And I always taught it uh, towards the end of the school year. And year after year, April would turn into May and we would get halfway through the novel. And I would panic and I would assign more chapters. So that was a big mistake. It was cognitive overload for my students. Um, Rushing the process of reading the novel did not result in learning and Mm -hmm. retention. It just stressed them out and it stressed me out. So that didn't work. So um, then I tried supplementing with the movie. Now that, while it's a great film, still I felt like that was a short change, right? Mm-hmm. I wanted them to read the novel and yep. now they're watching the movie. That's not the, that's not what I set out to do. So finally, the third year that I found myself in this position, I realized that I really needed to take a step back and look at the big picture. And this is something that in my coaching, I always encourage teachers to do, and I know we do it a lot together, like, wait a minute, let's take a step back here and think about what we're really trying to do. So when I took a step back, I asked myself, what do I want my students to learn from reading this novel? Did my students need to read the entire novel in order to meet the learning objectives? And what parts of the novel were essential in order for students to meet those learning objectives. So doing that was incredibly helpful because I was able to narrow my focus and I was able to make more selective choices about the content. Mm -hmm. So um, I ended up selecting passages that were aligned to the learning objectives. Now, when I taught this, I had a thematic focus. So one of my, my favorite ways to teach it was, is Scout a good girl? What does it mean to be a good girl um, in Maycomb? And um, how does Scout's perception of what it means to be a good girl change throughout the novel? Mm-hmm. Um, I taught in an all-girls school, so I thought that was a really interesting perspective to take. So because we were focused so heavily on Scout and the women in Maycomb, 
I was able to use that and select passages that would get my students thinking and exploring those essential questions. Mm -hmm. So when it came time to do that final assessment and the students were really analyzing Scout and her character and how she had evolved, they had read what they needed to read to do that. Right. So I think the bottom line is when you're deep in the forest of teaching, take a step back see the trees, don't lose sight of objectives and use them to guide your pivots. Yeah. And, you know, as you talk about this To Kill a Mockingbird unit, um, you, that this must have been how you coached me for my Christmas Carol unit, because <laughs> when I was wanting to do a Christmas Carol, I was I remember thinking I don't you know, I don't have the time for them to read the whole book. And you suggested doing passages from it and. Um, and again, it's, it's looking at those objectives. What do you actually want the students to get from it? And for me, A Christmas Carol is such a shoe in for how to teach symbolism. It's so obvious. And so um, pulling the excerpts that support that symbolism and that's the outcome, you know. And then, yeah, we watch the movie at the end. It's a great last two days before break. Um, but they have met the objectives that I was trying to teach. And it, and it was more efficient and... You know, and it, yeah, it just wasn't bogged down by the other things that it could have been, so. Yeah, and I think what ends up happening is once you've gone through this experience and you've had to reevaluate, it changes your planning, right? Yeah. So now when you teach a novel, instead of thinking, I'm teaching to kill a mockingbird, period. Instead, you think, what do I want the students to know and understand about this book? What learning objectives are we going to work on? And you plan the process, right? Mm -hmm. So like with A Christmas Carol, because we had that conversation before, you planned it out that way. And so you didn't find yourself scrambling to finish. Right. So I think, um, you know, you learn from these experiences and then they, they really reshape how you think about approaching your instruction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm also seeing kind of a, an opportunity for some differentiation, too, because I know I have students that are speed readers. Um, and so maybe, you know, I could offer a path for kids who could read the whole book, you know, and then maybe a path where I'm just using the excerpts for the students that um, that can only handle that much reading or whatever. So they're both meeting the objectives. Uh, so I don't know. That would be interesting, too. I'll think about that. <laughs> I love that. You just took it to the next level. Yeah. It reminds me of my favorite, my three-tiered writing prompts, differentiation strategy. Um, yeah, I love that idea um, because, you know, to your point, some of your students might be able to read the entire yeah. text and why shouldn't they? Right. Um, and to give students choice and options and to let them know if you just read these passages, great. If you read more, great. Either mm -hmm. way, it's going to work. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So what's yours? Okay, so one of my pivots um, is uh, I need to teach several concepts now. <laughs> In all caps. <laughs> In all caps, like, oh my gosh, we should have learned this and they need to know it right now. Um, and this is something that just sort of has come about over the years, you know, and it, it was sort of, okay, what strategy can I use to just give my kids explicit directions or expose them to something that I know that they should know. Um, it could be capitalization rules, grammar, uh, writing structure notes. I've, I use it to catch up euphemisms and 
figurative language, poetic devices, everything, anything like that. Um, And so what I end up doing is just organizing some station rotation days. And because they're all little concepts, anything that can be done, you know, in 15 minutes. Um, And so we have a 52 minute period at my school. And so what I'll typically do is the kids will come in. We usually do a whole group grammar study together and then or daily. Right. It depends on the time of year. (laughs) And um, but I'll usually have about three 15 minute stations and I'll have task cards. Um, I'll make videos using Screencast-O-Matic, and the kids will just, they'll rotate every 15 minutes. I like it because they get physical movement in the class, you know, so they, they're sitting for 15 minutes, and then they get to get up and actually move around a little bit and get settled into the next station, Um, but it's just a really fast way to just give them some concepts. Um, Something else that I tried Uh, This year, I can't remember if I did it last year, but I actually did four stations over two days. And that allowed to have just some um, longer work time. Um, I think I actually taught a small group. The stations, I think, were 20 minutes. Um, And that's kind of, I've realized that 20 minutes is really the cap, like the the extreme cap of doing a small group instruction without being able to uh, monitor the rest of my students. But it depends on how you do your stations, too, because that lets me show a TED Talk or they can listen to an audio recording of something or they've got um, time to do a deep practice of something. Um, And so it's just it worked out really well. They did two stations one day, two stations the next, and then we moved on to our next thing. But we just sort of stopped and went into a little holding pattern to get some information. So, yeah, I I really love that idea because I know so often, um, and I did this for a while and teachers I've coached have done this as well. You get in that mini lesson, um, flow where you're trying to do a mini lesson every single day. But what ends up happening is the mini lesson takes longer than you intended. So you end up spending an entire class period on, euphemisms. And then you're like, wait a minute, I don't have time. I shouldn't be spending 50 (laughs) minutes on this. That wasn't my intention. So what I really like about this approach is it's, it's setting some parameters and boundaries because of the station rotation model. We know that when the timer goes off after 15 minutes, we're done with euphemisms and we're moving on to something else. So you, you protect yourself from that Um, losing track of time and then ultimately spending way too much time on a concept where you really just wanted, you know, like you said, to give them the information, work on it a little bit and then move on. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. What's your next pivot, Julie? So I thought this would take one week and instead it took three. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Oh, I'm thinking about my first few years of teaching in particular where timing, and I just want to say that if you are new to teaching and you feel like that is the hardest part right now is not knowing how long things are going to take, just know that everybody feels that way. That's completely normal because... (laughs) For me, um, pacing was really one of the biggest challenges early on in oh, teaching. Yeah. Um, you you just don't know what you don't know until you start doing it. Um, and I think, you know, as I already touched on when I was talking about To Kill a Mockingbird, teaching the essay in particular 
was one of my biggest pacing challenges. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that is every student has different writing strengths and challenges. It takes time to figure out what students already know and what they still need to learn. Uh, to your point, um, I, I often assumed that my students would know how to use the semicolon or capitalize um, appropriately. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of grammar that needed to be taught that that I didn't plan into right. my essay unit. So, um, you know, when I first started teaching the essay, I would give my students an exemplar and a structure, and I kind of thought they would figure it out. Um, and... <laughs> while I gave them class time to write and I had given them all these resources when I received the, the final essays, it was very clear to me that that was not enough. Um, you know, I thought that, that they had written essays before and what I learned was you should never assume anything. Yeah. You just can't assume anything because you don't know. So the next year I, Speaking of mini lessons, I went on that mini lesson uh, flow and I did mini lessons on various components like writing the thesis, using transition words, connecting the evidence back to the thesis. We spent class time writing sample paragraphs and unpacking these concepts together. Now, while I felt like I was really teaching them, this left no time for writing in class mm -hmm. and they wouldn't write at home frankly. Or uh, if I assigned writing for homework, they felt like it was harder to do it on their own. So I ended up having to give them a lot more time in class for drafting. Mm -hmm. So no matter what I seemed to try, the process always took longer than what I had time for, and I would get panicked and worried. Um, I would rush. I would be stressed. My students would pick up on that stress, and they would get more anxious about the entire process. Mm -hmm. So again, there's that step back, taking a step back and asking yourself, how important is this, right? If we're thinking about euphemisms and the essay, and we're thinking about being an English teacher, what's more important? Yeah. And honestly, they're both important. But the essay, as we know, being able to clearly articulate yourself in writing is essential. Oh yeah. So by taking that step back and doing that importance audit, how important is this? The answer I think is the more important it is, the more time you should spend because it's worth it. So fast forward to the following year, we wrote an essay as a class and I weaved the mini lessons into the writing. Mm -hmm. And I will admit, I had a lot of anxiety about this because I, I thought every student should write their own essay on their own. But I was a middle school teacher, and for many of my students, this was their first experience with the essay. So writing it together as a class, I found, was incredibly meaningful for them. It demystified the process. Mm -hmm. And then when I did have them write their, their own, the, the writing was much stronger. Yeah. Did it take more time? Yes. It took two weeks to write the essay as a class and to get through some of those mini lessons. And then it took another week um, for, for them to ultimately work on their own piece of writing. But it was worth it because from then on, whatever they produced was a lot stronger than it had been in previous years. So learning takes time. 
slow down for the important stuff, even if it means that you have to cut something out or, you know, we can use your strategy, Darcy, right? I, I didn't have enough time to teach grammar, so I'm going to do two days of grammar station rotation. Yep. And that's, that's how I'm going to try to make it work. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. I have a whole, boy, I could, we could just talk about writing all day, couldn't we? I, I've learned <laughs> yeah. so many different strategies and methods over well, the years. And there's, there's definitely a theme here. A lot of what we're talking about with getting behind and pacing seems to be related to writing. Yeah. Um, and of course, reading, but reading. the writing yeah, keeps You're coming fine. up again. Yeah. Yeah. And mine, I think, is just more probably my last one is reading related, I think, just because that's where I uh, I try to take some <laughs> I cut some corners. <laughs> but it's not really because I look at the outcomes that I want and it, you know, I'm getting what I want out of it. Um, so my last pivot is called push play. And, um, for me, I just get so bogged down in the process of if I'm going to give my kids an article to read, then by George, they're going to do the notes markup on it. They're going to do a three column notes. They're going to do a reflective writing. Like (laughs) there's a process. Um, and I feel like I lose a lot of time with that. And so I'm learning how to let some of that stuff go but there's also some little time-saving things that can help. Um, and so I do, I'm do. i doing more small group things this year. Um, I will do whole group, uh, you know, when I need to, purposefully planning that. Um, but some things that can save time for getting content is making recordings of things. And so I've started making uh, the commitment to record any articles that I give the students. And so I make a little screencast and they follow along with it. And initially I made those videos for the um, special education students that, you know, it would just take them too long to read an article um, for what we, we needed to do in class. And so, but I put it on canvas, it's available for everyone to access. And it's really cute to look around the room at how many students use the audio recording of the articles that I post. Um, and it's just, you know, it's a little reminder that, you know, as students get older, they're really not read to, you know, mm-hmm. like they were when they were younger. And so it's an opportunity to read to your students so they can hear fluency. And, um, and yeah, it's just, it's a really good little trick is to have an audio recording available. Sometimes we'll listen to it as a class. Um, I definitely gave up on trying to read an article aloud four or five times a day, depending on how many <laughs> classes I have come in because my throat couldn't take it per se. And um, I've found that students will actually be more, this sounds really bad, but they'll be quiet and be more respectful of a video than they will if I'm doing it live. Oh no. (laughs) It's the weirdest thing. I had one student one time, they're like, can you just make a video for everything? I'm like, no. But I just find that if I push play, then they kind of just, okay, I'm watching, I'm watching TV. Like I need to be quiet. Um, the other thing that I'll use my videos with or to give content to students quicker is to use a TED Talk or YouTube videos, things like that. So instead of giving them an article and then feeling like they need to do all these comprehension you know, activities, we'll cut it down into a 10, 15 minute video. Um, and it just it kind of just dumps a whole bunch of information in their brains and then they can just focus on doing the reflection and the discussion. Uh, and so what I ended up doing was buying headphone splitters 
off Amazon. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, they have, it's got five jacks on it. And so I can put them in groups, you know, anywhere from three to five. And then they have one Chromebook with them and they just work together as a group. So you have the group kind of pulling some kids along with them. Um, it also slows down some kids. It's just a little bit more paced. And um, I always tell them, like, leave no man behind. Like, you have to work together as a group. And we're working on that. Um, <laughs> but it's just using the TED Talks and using the videos is a great way to get some fast content. Uh, I just finished this new unit that I'm doing on the justice system. And the kids, you know, I was just like, we just need to watch one more TED Talk. Like, just one more. I need to give you some information, you know. And the kids are like, ah, another TED Talk. But um, <laughs> but it was easier than having them go research. It was easier than giving them articles that I didn't think that they would read. Um, and so, yeah, we got the content. And then we moved on to the, the main objective of what we were trying to do. So, Yeah, and I... I love this so much. It makes me think about when you first started doing choice boards and there were all these different modalities, you know, mm-hmm. you can, you can listen to the Ted talk, you can read the article, you can, uh, you know, go on the online. Just, I just think it's so important for us to acknowledge that there are so many different ways to receive information yeah. and, yes, we're teaching reading and yes, we want everyone to be able to close read and, and that's important, but it's also important to recognize the reality that we live in. And a lot of our students are watching videos and vlogs and that's how they're getting their information on YouTube. You know, I mean, that's, that's what they're doing. And I'm curious, um, about engagement because, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, do your students seem more engaged when they get to push play versus when you ask them to read a text? Um, or does it vary? I think it varies. And honestly, in this unit that I just did, they had already done an article and marked it up and practiced those note-taking skills. And so that was one of my reasonings for, okay, let's just slam some TED Talks to get information because they had already practiced something. Um, I think... I think they would have felt more bogged down doing an article again. Um, yeah, yeah. For sure. Some I would like to do it more of a choice board base, probably maybe a playlist where they'll, you know, all of them will have to complete, you know, the, these sources of information, but then there'll be a choice of, you know, pick an article, pick a video, pick this, Um, And then have their group that they report back to, like they're responsible for sharing that information. Um, And so that'll be my revamp of the unit for next year. (laughs) Yeah, I I like that. I I like to the the element of choice, too, that that you have options and how you want to receive it. And I'm also thinking, too you know, as, as you're talking about this, it reminds me of the tried and true jigsaw as well. Mm -hmm. You know, if you were going to have them do another text and you felt like, oh, we just don't have time, they could jigsaw, you know? So there, there are always options for how to, to make it work. But, um, yeah, I love this. I love what you said about, there's certain things that I just want to do with a text and that you have the self-awareness as a teacher to know that you want to do three column notes and you want to do this and you want to do that. And that you're able to recognize that even though that's the process that you believe in, there's not always time for it and it's not always necessary. Yeah. 
Yep. That's yeah. not easy to do. Right. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> look how far you've come. <laughs> I know. Look how far. <laughs> but um, yeah, and I know that we'll practice it next quarter, you know, and so it's just one of those right. things I loop right. and and the students will be great. So it'll be it'll be good. So. So one thing that I learned that I you know, hadn't really thought about. Um, but from listening to you, um, a takeaway that I have is this idea about really being thoughtful around what, how you're presenting the information to students, that it doesn't have to be one particular modality and that certain modalities uh, result in time savers. And I hadn't really thought about it that way. And I really like that idea when you're planning your instruction and you're thinking about how much time you have, um, you know, bringing in those different modalities so that you are able to plan in a way that isn't hopefully going to leave you feeling panicked and behind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I use that push play thing for a lot like for essays because books take so long to read you know that it's it's just easier to show one or two TED talks you know with a common theme and then we just pull the content from there and we write you know and again it's just what are your outcomes what are you actually trying to teach so yeah and I think that's the other really important takeaway here is when you are in that panicked moment of I'm behind what am I going to do? Trying to take that step back and revisiting the learning objectives, the essential questions, asking yourself, what is essential that my students take away from this process, this material, and using that to be your guide to inform your pivot. Um, I think that for me uh, was hard to do. Mm -hmm. But once I was able to do that, the pivot becomes very clear, at least for me, when I recognize that we're really focusing on scout, we're really focusing on characterization, I knew exactly what passages to go to. Yeah. So I think trust your teacher gut, take that step back, really revisit the big picture and what's important and the rest will fall into place. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that you'll feel better overall about your pacing and your curriculum and where you, where you're going, um, because you won't have that stress and that anxiety, you know, that that follows with, oh my gosh, <laughs> we and have if to you do, do this. That's okay. Right. right it's, yeah. It's, it's okay. It's this <laughs> teaching is such. Uh, you know, just when you think you've got it figured out, you get thrown a loop. Oh right? my gosh, so, I totally relate to that. <laughs> And I think everyone does. You have to be okay being uncomfortable yeah. and knowing that things are going to change on a daily basis in your classroom. And uh, the more that you can stay calm and really trust yourself and your instincts, um, I think uh, the less exhausted and stressed you'll be. Yeah, I know. It was funny because like, I think last year was probably one of my strongest years of teaching and and this year I started the year and it was so good and we were just like cranking and the curriculum was just falling into place and we were going and then I don't know what happened, but we just got really derailed. And yeah, so now it's just like, okay, what can I do to get this back on track? Like we need to regroup, you know, and I'm just not beating myself up at all about, you know, where we should be and all that other stuff. So we're just going to follow the path and I'll do the best I can. And we still have half a year, so it'll be good. Yeah. 
And I, I love that. I love that you're at a point where you're able to recognize that and yep. do that. Um, because it is, it's, this is such hard work. And I think you don't go into teaching unless you care about kids right. and you want to be a good teacher and everybody is, is doing the best that they can given the circumstances that they're yeah. in. And, Absolutely. and that's enough. That is enough. So, yeah. um, Hopefully we will be back sooner rather than later. The yes. holidays are coming up, um, but uh, we're looking forward to picking back up with the podcast. And, yes, regularly. <laughs> yes. So you can look forward to more episodes to come and we will post um, a blog to go along with this episode on our website, classroomcrusaders.com. So check it out. All right. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. Thank you for listening. Our next episode will be posted soon. If you want to follow the crusade, subscribe on our website, www.classroomcrusaders.com.